Welcome to DaVinci's Discourse, where the minds of today's most innovative entrepreneurs are unveiled and explored. And my name is Kyle Campbell, your guide on this journey into the depths of the entrepreneurial psyche. So sit back, relax, and get ready to dive into the minds of the greats. This is DaVinci's Discourse. Brian Cole, you know, tell us a little bit what you do, who you do it for, and uh, we can jump into the how you do it. Okay. So I am a uh, copywriter. Um, I also, I also do content sometimes, but at the moment I'm mostly doing copy, um, in the financial sector, um, primarily at the moment, again, uh, I've done lots and lots of different things and it changes over time, but right now I'm mostly working with, uh, publicly listed companies, uh, and mm. writing their, various different sorts of marketing material for them. They tend to be uh, of a certain size. Like if they're, if they're over say a hundred million market cap, then they probably have their own marketing team. So they, they then take care of everything in house. Uh, so I'm dealing with smaller companies that all still need marketing assistance. Um, usually creating landers, emails, space ads, all, all sorts of various things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's where I'm focusing at the moment. Um, although, as I say, you know, I've, I've worked with agencies sometimes. I do some work with financial publishers. Uh, that's that's where I came up originally. Um, so, you know, it, it, it depends on what's going on at the moment. Okay, man, right on. So, dude, how'd you get into that? It's interesting. Uh, so I originally was hired um, by the Oxford Club, which is an imprint of Agora. Uh, have you ever heard mm. of Agora? Uh, yes. Have I ever heard of Agora? Yeah. Come on. Yeah. From, a, from a copywriting yeah. standpoint, absolutely, man. <laughs> Porter Stansberry, <Exactly>. baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That was, uh, yeah. When I joined up with them, well, he had already left the Oxford Club. He originally started with Oxford before he uh, spun off and did Stansberry Research. But um, yeah, yeah. So 2007, I was an in-house copywriter with them. Um, and I, you know, trained up with them first. Uh, in baltimore but the it was a period of transition the person who was going to be the copy chief wound up becoming publisher of a different division it, was, it got very confusing um so in the end they wound up shipping me up to vermont where i studied with uh paul hollingshead for for a, about uh, six months six months to a year something like that uh i was up there when the uh financial crisis hit in 2008 2009 um so I was actually laid off at that point, along with, you know, I think it was around a quarter of Agora's workforce uh, was laid off, but I started freelancing right then um, for Agora, actually working with the same people for the, for the most part, but just doing it as a freelancer. Okay. And uh, I've been freelancing almost exclusively since. Um, and so, yeah, I started in the financial publishing uh world and have since spread out into all the various different uh types of marketing that 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 involves which is you know most of it okay man so what are what are a couple of things you learned from the experience with paul um he well i will say that he he was sort of very hands-off <laughs> um but i i got to see uh see his process um which you know, he actually was someone who believed in creating pressure for yourself. So, mm. so he would often just think about what he was going to do and procrastinate until the last weekend and then get it all out. But um, 
I also saw sometimes those were not his best packages. He usually did a little bit better when he uh, he was able to spend a little bit more time. But like one of his biggest pieces of, pieces of advice to me was something which goes counter to everything I have heard from anyone else, which is spend more than you can afford. Go out there and get yourself a nut that you cannot afford. And his whole idea was that was to light a fire under your ass. Mm. So that you're like, well, geez, I gotta, I gotta make my monthly payment. I better go out and find some work. Um, that was, that was where he found his motivation. I don't know if you necessarily need to do that, uh, <laughs> but I, I certainly, I understood what he was getting at with that. And uh, you know, I, I definitely have uh, spent aggressively sometimes. I'm like, I'm going to assume that I'm making this much because I made that for the past three months, even though I know it can go away. Uh, so let's, let's just keep that going. <laughs> and then yeah then it's kind of a gamble whether it goes away or not <laughs> it depends if it works out for you or not if it works man then well, all the power to you what about in terms of copywriting man what about in terms <laughs> of copywriting some of the things you learned uh you know when it, when it actually comes down to the tactics and strategies um well let's see specifically from paul because i mean you know i learned the whole agora in your experience AWA with agora system. in general yeah uh, yeah so i mean you know there's there's certain formulas you can hit and as long as you're you know what you're doing with that then then you're going to be pretty golden the quality of your writing actually is usually overrated by people who are not inside the industry um it doesn't really matter if you write well or not as long as you hit the right emotional points and mm. learning you know how to how to play with emotions and which emotions you want to elicit to get whatever particular response you're looking at like when you're doing financial it's almost always fear and greed not necessarily that when you're in other uh, other sectors and niches but um yeah a lot of that stuff with paul i would say some of the most interesting things i found was how powerful a single word could be um mm. so like oftentimes what he would do is he would take something which feels pretty rote and trite and he would maybe just you know put it in there real quickly while he was going over just to be like all right i know this is where i'm going to perform this particular function and here's the here's the easiest way to do it and then he would go back later and he would change maybe only one word sometimes he would completely rephrase it but sometimes he would sometimes he would just add a single word um you know or i remember in the headline it was something about you know living a good life and he just had that in there and change it to living your best life. And that sort of like just very small little yep. tweaks like that um, really make all the difference. And that's that's really the, the key between uh, really high performing, great copy and copy, which is just, you know, fairly run of the mill is going through and making those little customizations, those little tweaks. Um, I know that you work some with AI so, you know, that's become even more important. AI can give you a really good C plus to B plus sometimes uh, piece of copy, but it's not going to be an A. You got to go through and you got to tweak and you got to find those depends, little things man. to make it. It depends because what we're doing right now is, and I see your point 100%, what we're doing right now is we're we're using it to create books. That is, yeah, I mean, I was a copywriter for a few years and the the kind of copy that we're getting out of this is unbelievable. I'm not talking about ChatGPT telling it to write like Porter Stansberry and spit out a sales letter. I'm talking about something that is almost unbelievable in terms of the quality of copy we're getting out of this thing. So um, 
A plus. It's not only a B plus, man. It is. It is far yeah. better All than right. anything I could even come close to. Like come close to writing. It's unbelievable. One client told me that he cried reading his story. The way that the AI was able to tell his story. So it's drawing out those emotions. It's getting that emotion out of us. And it's crazy to see how that's how that's happening. I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes. But dude, you said something very interesting, which is you start with what emotion you want them to feel before you go into writing the copy for them. And I want to get oh, into yeah, that sure. a little bit because uh, first of all, how do you know what emotion that you want to, to trigger? And then secondly, how do you actually go about triggering that in the copy? Well, I would say that, that there's a couple answers to that. Um, one is experience. You tend to get a feel over time for mm. what emotion is going to work, but mm. really that's, that's guesstimates. Uh, the truth is the market tells you. So oftentimes what you'll be doing is you'll try a few different leads. Um, you might try a fear and a greed and an intrigue, and the market's going to tell you what it's in the mood for. Mm. Usually because if you're, you know, in the market right now, then you know what the market's in the mood for before you go in because it's been telling you for a while and usually you start to get some warning signs when it's starting to transition but um mm, like but, what yeah. what are some of the warning signs you get uh usually you'll start to get declining returns from from the particular package like uh you know everything will do that over time right uh you'll tend to see like it really slows down and maybe there will be some surprising things like, hey, this has never worked. And all of a sudden we tried it and it's doing gangbusters. Like when the data starts shifting uh, and you're not, you don't necessarily know exactly which direction that's going to come from. Like I can't tell you a particular metric. It's always going to be the open rate. It's not. It's going to be different. But when things which weren't performing all of a sudden are performing with things that were performing are not anymore, that's... um that's usually a pretty good sign. Uh, and usually you get a little bit of a warning. It's, it's, it's right. rare that it happens overnight. I mean, it can, if you've got, you know, some horrible disaster, which befalls, then you can go from greed to fear overnight. Mm. But for the most, most of the time, it's, it's a little more gradual. Okay. So you, you like to focus on greed and fear a lot, which is that, uh... Interesting. For finance. You, you, for finance, right? Because that's the, the black and white. That's the positive and negative. That's toward greed and away from fear, right? Yeah. So you're hitting you're hitting yeah. both ends of that spectrum there. It's interesting. What are some other emotions that you've found over the years works in terms of drawing out, uh, well, optimizing for conversions? I mean, curiosity is always going to work. And that that's for all niches, uh, definitely. Um, and then, I mean, you know, it, it really depends where you are. You've got to know your niche. Yes. Like if you are dealing with um, fundraising, then you're going to be looking more at compassion and you're going to be looking mm. at, uh, at pity. You're going to be looking at people who want to feel good about themselves, forgiving and, uh, and things like that, like very different emotions, emotional mm. complex. Not that they don't also use fear and greed. I mean, if you've seen one of the Sarah McLaughlin uh, pet commercials, that's basically the the fundraising version of of a fear package. Uh, <laughs> so you know you you've got similar things going on, but um, yeah, it's it's it. I, I'm I hesitate to say you can use any emotion basically uh, if you are mm -hmm. using it in the correct niche. Uh, really depends on the niche. But when you're talking about money, it's usually fear and greed. Make me money or I don't want to lose my money. Uh, ah. People people don't care as much about everything else. Uh, mm. But you can get them with curiosity. Open loops. Open loops. Do you close the loops always? 
Uh, it depends. Depends yeah. on exactly what you're doing. Sometimes you have to buy the product to close the loop. I mean, that's there's a yeah. very famous, uh, you know, examples of you you open the loops with these bullet points where you're just like, you know, how to how mm-hmm. to make your dog smell less smelly with this tennis ball. And you know, it's about how you cut the tennis ball in half and they don't swallow water uh, or don't swallow air when they're drinking water when you put half a tennis ball floating in their uh, mm. in their their uh, water bowl but you don't get that unless you buy the book you've got to buy the book to find out how this tennis ball can possibly stop your dog from smelling so bad uh but yeah oftentimes you'll close the loops uh it depends <laughs> depends exactly what you're doing again uh you know especially if you've got a loop if you open a loop in the lead you're trying to get them down into deeper in the copy perhaps into the clothes even or at least the false clothes then yeah yeah you might be closing that one later False clothes. What do you mean by that? False clothes is where you make someone think, oh, this is this is a pretty good deal. Maybe I should do that. And then you make it better. Right. Uh, okay. It's, okay. It's, yeah. Hmm. So you say you, you've sold them completely. They're like, I think I'm ready to buy. Wait, you're making it cheaper. You're giving me these three extra gifts, whatever it is. Well, well now I'd be stupid not to do it. Yeah. 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 See, when it comes down to crafting a good offer, that's what you want. Eh? You want them to feel stupid not to do it. And almost, yeah. this is the way I look at it personally. I want them to feel almost like they're ripping me off by buying from me because of how good I've made that offer, right? Um, you're, yeah. you're, a, you're a copywriter. Do you go into more so the the offers that you're making or is it strictly the, the copy that you're working with somebody else's offer? Depends on the client, but... Yeah. Um... Usually, I'm given some sort of uh, some sort of say over the over the clothes and the offer. Um, now that said, it's it's a little weird in the in the financial niche when you're working for publicly listed companies. You don't have a traditional close. You're not the the call to action is you want them to be interested and invest in the company, but you're not allowed to actually say anything like that. Uh, there are very strict rules. Um, right for that sort of communication. So you really just want to leave them so hungry to invest in this sector. This sector looks amazing and this company is incredibly well positioned. And then you're like, hey, maybe if, if you're interested in this, then talk to your financial advisor about this. Like that's that's the sort of thing you have to do in that situation. So it's a very different thing. You don't really have a false close in the same way. You definitely have sweeteners, which you put in at the end. You know, usually you'll focus in on here's one one story we're going to tell most of the way. And oh, by the way, we're going to throw in the, you know, eight other things that this company is doing, which could all make just as much money for them. But, uh, you know, we, we drew you in with the first story. Um, so that's mm. that's sort of the equivalent of, uh, of a false close and close that you, you can sort of get in that kind of writing but uh yeah it's 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 very dependent on what your audience is and what you're trying to get them to do right of course right so if you've got eight potential let's say you've got um eight potential stories or positioning factors or way that ways that you could structure the whole content and then throw the the goodies the sprinkles in at the end how do you know what of the eight to choose um i mean usually it's from knowing the sector and the audience well like uh you really i'd say a large part of my job is not spent working with any particular client on any particular project it's just being aware of trends within business 
within finance, mm. within uh, within the markets, and just like having that general background, like hum. Uh, so when someone comes to me and they say, hey, I want to write about nuclear power, then you're able to say, okay, well, let me connect that up with things which are sort of in the zeitgeist right now. Uh, so, you know, maybe if we're just having a big UN meeting about uh, climate change, then maybe you take it from that that clean energy viewpoint. If we just had, uh, you know, fights in the Middle East, for instance, then maybe you're going to talk about how oil is probably going to be going to the moon and you need to, we need to secure these other uh, sources, uh, that sort of thing. Um, maybe it depends on where it is. If, if we're talking about a nuclear company, which is in the US, then we can talk about geopolitical strife and how we get most of our uranium out of Kazakhstan right now, which might as well be Russia. We could lose access to that any second. Um, What's your thinking process behind this? Because I, I noticed you're connecting the dots, which is brilliant. I just saw a whole bunch of genius spark out of you, which is freaking awesome. And <laughs> so what is your, this is why I'm so curious. What's your thinking behind making these connections? How do you look at the overarching process? Um, Again, uh, that, I, I'm, I'm the, sorry I'm to trying say to draw it really the is... unconscious out of you because you don't do it yeah. consciously. You make these connections unconsciously, but if you knew well, the it's, answer, it's what really the setup. It's, like uh, in terms of making the connections, you just need to have all the dots in your head and then then relax, go for a walk. Don't try so hard. If mm. you're trying hard to make those connections, it doesn't work. Mm. Uh, one of my best things to do is I will do all my research for something and then I will try and forget about it. And I'll take my dog for a walk and think about something else. Listen to, you know, a review of the, the football game yesterday or whatever. And usually uh it'll just come to me and all of a sudden i want to get in front of the computer because oh i've got this great mm. idea i found the connection but it's not something you are actively doing it really is the hard work of doing all the research and knowing what's going on within any sector um and you know it, it doesn't have to be something that you are always 100 like i know everything down to the minute but you need to know at least the broad movements of the things that you're working within uh, which for me, because I work with many different clients, it can be lots and lots of different uh, sectors. But, you know, I would say for most people, focus in on one to start with, and then you'll get get to know it really, really well. Get all those dots, lay them out on the floor and let your mind relax. And it's going mm -hmm. to connect the dots automatically for you. Um, that's that's my best advice. Uh, that is also really hard to do if you're just starting out. Um, it's going to take you a while to build up that base and get yourself ready. So if you're just starting out, then uh, crib, use other people's work. Find, like, go take mm -hmm. a look and see what are, what are all the headlines. All right, I'm going to see every headline that has been written for this in the past 50 days, whatever it is, and just look through them. And you can Frankenstein that out. Be like, ooh, this this thing. And then you can look up this thing, got lots of hits. This thing did not so much. This, let's combine these two. All right, people really are interested in this aspect. And this, maybe I can combine that into this one big idea. What tool do you use to go through the headlines? I mean, I just look on Google, various different searches. Just, uh, I oh, will go to it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I find that that bias is the, the result because you're you're actually well, you're relying on the SEO of the sites rather than the actual strength of the headlines well, themselves. I don't actually, to, to be fair, I don't actually use Google. I use DuckDuckGo. Uh, okay. 
partially because that doesn't track you and so you're getting you're getting more uh, of a plain vanilla yes, look yes. as opposed to here's something catered for me doesn't do that so so that's one of the reasons i use that one instead of google but if you if you are spreading out and don't just do one search don't just trust one thing like you gotta you gotta be out there and just keep hammering at it like okay I've, I've looked on Google. Now I'll, I'll go to the New York Times and see what their own internal search will will pop up. And I'll do the same for a couple of other uh, reputable good sites. Um, I'll do it for, uh, you know, especially if it's something financial, I'll look in the WSJ uh, mm. and maybe I'll look in the Financial Times or, or you know, it, it depends exactly what it is that you're looking at, but go to multiple sources. Don't just go to your first one. Um, that's your jumping off point. That's just sort of giving you sort of like how you'd never want to rely on Wikipedia, but you can use Wikipedia. And then if you think, oh, that's a really good point, And I'd love to use that stat. Well, great. Go to the, go to the source, which should be listed in Wikipedia. And if it's there, then awesome. Now you've found it and you're, mm. you're at the source and you can, you can go crazy. Um, so really it's, it's, it's just, the biggest thing is just keep drilling down, keep drilling down. Um, I guess I'll I'll tell a story from my my early childhood. Not not so early. Uh, <laughs> okay, high school. Okay, bring it up. Uh, <laughs> my first my first uh, big research paper. It was for AP History, and we had to write a, a research paper the whole year. And like people talked about it, it, was you know there was no limit on how big it could be. It could be 30, 40 pages. Some people wrote sixty or eighty pages. So it was, it was like this huge deal getting your research paper done. Um, and so I chose a fairly obscure topic thinking that I would, you know, be able to say something a little bit more original about it, but there wasn't much out there on it. So I actually went, I, I lived in Baltimore at the time. Um, so I went to the Library of Congress because it wasn't that far away. And I, you know, looked on microfiche back in the day at the old newspaper articles from this event which happened in the 1850s um and you know i wrote about it, i cited it and everything and and my uh teacher he afterwards you know was like that's very very good paper although you know you have to cite the source that you used not the uh not the source that they used mm. the original source and i said well actually i i went to the library of congress i read that original source he said oh well that's very commendable um but that is sort of the level of detail you want to go into with these things. You can't right. just read a BuzzFeed article about it and be like, well, now I feel fine quoting this. You might have to defend this in court. I mean, whenever I'm writing, I have to think about it that way. Like I need to show reputable, good sources, keep digging, keep drilling, get to the base. And once you've got to the base, now you're okay. Now you can quote them and you can go from there and you can feel very secure in whatever data it is you're using. Like if you're in health, you get to the, uh, uh, I can't remember, it's the NCHBI, whatever whatever that database is. I think it's nchbi.org. Uh, but, um, you know, that, that's where they have all of their uh, medical studies, the abstracts, and they have them all hosted there. If you can get to that, then okay, now you've got yourself some really good stuff. You've got the original medical research, which has been mm. done. So mm. you, you want to go until you get to that point. But yeah, there's no reason that can't start with Google. 
<laughs> okay. I'm interested. Maybe you could use ChatGPT to do some of this research for you because it oh, sounds, absolutely. I mean, hell yeah. Right. It, that's where it learned it from is the original sources. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, sometimes it won't give you the source, but sometimes it will. Um, well, you just put that in the prompts. I found as long as you say, Refer right. to the most source, of the time like cite all your sources most of the time yeah can. other times it'll yeah. say oh well, i'm a language model i don't have access to the sources blah 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 yeah it depends, yeah, on, yeah. It depends <laughs> on how good your prompt is right um yeah and then what's cool about that is you can drill into it say and, and you know ask it how do you know that or or um what are the sources for that and you can go deeper and deeper and go through those layers that you were talking about um yeah from, from the source to the source of that source to the source of that source and on and on until you you feel um like, well this is my next question is how do you know when you're ready to start writing that copy based on the research you've done um well there's a few answers to that uh one is if you are at the point where the deadline is going to pass <laughs> you start now. Yeah, that point yeah that's true <laughs> that's always Which, one uh, point to start yeah <laughs> yes yeah you it's can always always find yourself doing something then uh the problem is if you do that then it's like pulling your teeth like usually it's much nicer yeah. when you you do your research get it done ahead of time and then you relax your mind and wait for inspiration to strike and as soon as it does then you're ready and usually when it does it's almost fully formed at least for me mm, like mm. uh at least the lead like when it comes i'm like ah i know exactly what i'm going to do how i'm going to say it i don't know each of the phrases yet but that that's easy to easy to do once you've already got like the main point the main big idea in in place uh then you're just filling in gaps Hey, I hope you're enjoying the podcast and I want to let you know that I've got a free book that you can get if you want to tap into more of these resources and you can get that for free at kylesbook.com. Back to the podcast. But yeah, it, it usually it's, it's once you've got that big idea, once you've really got that fleshed out. Um, and again, yeah, it does. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend a ton of time usually most of the time is the research and then let your subconscious your unconscious do the hard work um it usually does a much better job than when you're yeah. trying to sweat bullets yeah no if you're shit. If you're sitting there just <laughs> like hope. brainstorming in front of a uh in front of a blank page yeah you can you can push it out but it's not going to be very organic and it's probably going to feel a little bit more stilted um I can always tell when I like, sometimes you run out of time and you, you don't have the time to do that. Or sometimes there's just so many things coming that you don't have the time to, to devote to it that way. Um, and in those cases, you know, it's, it's, I think the copy suffers. You can, you can tell usually uh, that this copy has been a uh, pulled teeth one, even mm. if it hits all the right marks, it doesn't flow the same way that, that one, which, uh, which has emerged organically has. Interesting. Okay, so we can go into some of the some of the points that you're talking about hitting. Um, you know, what comes to mind is obviously Cialdini's Six Principles of Influence. Maybe, maybe there's seven now because there's a new book that came out. Um, regardless, you know, the 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 buttons that you have to press to change somebody's mind. Um, have you found yeah. that there's? Uh, I mean, of course, you want to incorporate it and weave and stitch in all seven if you can. Um, but if there, if if let's say you were limited to three, what are your, your top three that you always rely on when it comes to writing the copy? Oh, you know, you got scarcity, you've got liking bias. And we're talking about the, the cognitive biases. At the yeah. Core. Yeah. I mean, I guess the three most essential is you need, you need to, 
you need to create a time limit of some sort, uh, which which plays into the scarcity. Mm-hmm. Like that, you need a trigger of some sort um, in order to create a deadline. Uh, that one is really hard to to get people to act without. Um, yeah. You can do it again when like, like again, it's going to be so niche specific when I'm dealing with something where I can't do an actual call to action uh, because that's not allowed by the rules. Then that, mm-hmm. it's not nearly as important then. Although usually you still will have like, hey, we've got you know the fourth quarter earnings report is coming in two weeks or whatever it is. You know, we've got drill results which are going to be coming in and we're expecting to prove this huge resource but we we can't say how much it is yet we don't know but on september 30th we will like you can still do those sort of things um so i would say that is that's probably number one uh i mean it, it, it's so dependent on which one you're you're who you're who you're trying to talk to uh what you're trying to get them to do to do I'd say usually if you can if you can pique curiosity, that's always a good one. Um, so yeah, that that can take many different forms depending on what type of copy you're doing. But you want to have something like that in there. You need to get people interested in what you're saying. Um, and then yeah, you need you need to elicit emotion. Um, which one? Which way? That is, that's obviously going to be highly dependent, but you got to have emotion. You got to have emotion, a deadline, and you got to keep people's interest. That's, that's basically my big three um, in terms of how you want to label them that, that can vary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Fair enough. Eh? Okay. Interesting, man. So when it comes down to creating that curiosity, what are some things that you do in the headline, for example, that, that draw people in? Uh, let's say I was I was trying to write a headline for a sales letter for a, a product about selling an online course on how to sell on Amazon, for example, and we're leading people to a webinar. Uh, what would what would be some curiosity pieces that I could have in that in that headline? And we can make it kind of generalized so that it works for any entrepreneur, no matter the business. Yeah, sure. So you can have unanswered questions. Okay. That's the easiest way. Uh, it's also the hardest way. It's, it's the, the most obvious way. What do you mean? Way, <laughs> easiest way and the hardest way. I like that. I like the way that sounds. <laughs> tell, tell me what you mean. It's the easiest one to do, but because it's the easiest one to do, lots of people do it. It's the hardest one to do and make yourself unique and stand out. Okay. So in that regard, like that's the one where if no one has any idea what they're doing, let's just ask a question in there and it's going to do most of the work. Um, and that's true, but because so many people do it, it becomes overused, oversaturated. So it's, it's harder in that way. Uh, mm. it's, it's the, the broadest base that everyone is playing in. So you got to really excel if you're going to excel inside that field. Um, so yeah, I would say, I would say that, and here we Remind me of the question, actually, where you just went off on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> we both got those ADD moments, man. I feel you. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, I can't remember what the question was either. It was about how to create curiosity in the headline and how to oh, get yes. somebody okay, in. Yeah. yeah, so some principles right. that you you follow uh, unconsciously when you're writing these headlines out. Uh, you know, How do you know when you've got a good headline? Um, usually if it makes me want to read it. Um, yes, yes. I would also say surprise surprise them in some way so that can be a surprising mm. juxtaposition okay, um yeah true like that, i was a, a shocking was reading, stat. yeah it, 
sometimes a shocking stat or like uh, I just read a headline that someone was extolling in a, in a copy group on LinkedIn uh, from, I think it was Kyle Milligan who wrote this one. It was something like, uh, you know, I've been, I've been using penny stocks to date women half my age, like that kind of a thing. Where right. it's like, Wait, yeah, what does yeah, that have yeah. to do with that? Um, mm, and so you, you almost are like, wait, how does that work? Mm. Uh, I mean, the main thing to remember with the headline is so many people try and do too much with their headline. They try and get you to buy the whole thing yes, with the headline. Yes, yes. The whole point of the headline is to get them to read the first line or the yes. subhead or what, whatever your format is. You're just driving them to the next line, to the next line, to the next line. So as long as you can open up a loop where they want to find mm. out the answer, mm. they want to get some information, they want to find out what the hell you're talking about, what is this crazy person talking about? <laughs> um, as long as you've got them asking the question and wanting the answer, mm. you've done your job. Uh, you can do it any which way. I mean, like I say, there's there's lots of formulas. We sort of touched on a few of them this time. I find it's, it's best not to use the formulas uh, because everyone does. Right. Yeah, so that's a good <laughs> so they're, point. They're, right? they're very good to know about. They're, they're good to know about. And then, uh, you know, especially when you're learning, yeah, use them some then. But once you've gotten some familiarity with them, you can throw them out. You know what the the underlying point is. Uh, you know what you're trying to do. And if you're able to do it in a way which no one else is doing it, you've already given yourself an edge. So it helps to uh, grow past the formulas as fast as you can. Mm, what are some of the formulas that come to mind? I mean, you've got ADA, like, you know, what, what comes to mind when you think of these formulas? Well, there's all sorts of different systems. Lots of different people teach different systems, but I would say a lot of them are like different lead examples. So for instance, you could you could say, all right, we've got a story lead, which you're going to hit these points. You're going to tell it as more of a narrative. You're going to do a uh, problem solution lead where obviously you're going to have, you're presenting the problem that people have and we've got the solution. You're doing that in different elegant ways. Uh, you know, there's, there's, expert says where you're profiling you know a big call where an expert or what have you someone is is going to be talking about something you've got pure pattern interrupts where you are just doing a lead where you are trying to shock people out of their regular state um by introducing things which they are not used to seeing in print for one reason or another whether it's next to each other or you're going for some people will go for just pure shock value which is probably the cheapest form of that but you know it's much better if you cause people to think thoughts like you're making combinations that they've never seen before and so they're they're like wait is this something new um mm. so that that's an example those sorts of things where you're given like here's this this format you can use for a lead and we know that this works and if you're going to do a story lead then you start with you know outlining this person's biography and talk about their pro trouble and their solution and you know make sure you get uh oh so another good one is like the four finger rule like there's all sorts of rules like that where uh you know you need to introduce the benefit your your first benefit within this is from back in the day when most of it was done uh with paper you would actually hold up your fingers yeah. with four fingers and like right. if you had that yes, much yes, writing yes. and you had not gotten to your benefit yet mm. then you would take in too long like those sorts of things right, there's right. there's a million of them out there and it depends um, on what kind of copy you're writing. If you're going for a fear-based, then look at I me, mean, look at Porter Stansberry. He would write copy that was 
35 pages of fear with no benefits in there and then and then draw the solution at the end after 35 fucking pages of the stuff you know so again actually, it depends on what you're writing right actually what i i was gonna say stansbury he did some amazing things he actually snuck the benefit in while it sounded like fear very early and he mm. did it throughout it's oh, it's, it's a really covert. yes yes yeah, i like that yeah, See, yeah which is which is a great way to do it yeah yeah so it's like that is when you're operating at you know a stansbury level he's he's one of the best to ever do it so yeah that's expect that from him but um but yeah you 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 don't have to do all these things like these are great guidelines which have been usually found out through trial and error but the other thing to remember is that also the market is forever changing and what was true last week might not be this week. I mean, everything that was true before COVID, yeah, it's a whole new world post-COVID. You can't right. really use that. I mean, the psychological principles are still the um, same. You know, the human psychology hasn't changed. Uh, maybe on the surface yeah. it has. Maybe we're more prone to fear after have, having fear drilled into us for so long with the whole COVID thing. But um, Absolutely. Maybe, and, and you have to play with that. Like, right, you right. You so know, maybe, like, don't push them too hard. I'm going to break people if I push them oh, interesting. with as yeah, much true. fear as I did before. Right, right. You got to do it much more gently because everyone's more fragile now. Like you've got to, oh, you got to pay attention to these things. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, you can try and break it. It depends what you're doing. <laughs> it depends what the, what the goal is. Because eh? sometimes you have but, to break yeah. the beliefs, totally shatter them until you can rebuild that identity as one that would be aligned with buying whatever you're selling, which is, yeah. uh, is super advanced, is incredibly difficult. But if you can nail that in a piece of copy, uh, that identity shattering and then rebuilding that is uh, my favorite way to write copy, to, uh, to build an identity of somebody who is uh, congruent with buying the product you're selling. And if, if they don't buy it, then they're going against who they are, who they just admitted that they are. And so it creates that, that turmoil, that incongruence inside of them so that they yeah. have to buy when it comes down to it. Uh, that's my favorite kind of copy to write. Um, yeah, in I terms like that too. Yeah, it's brilliant, right? I like that a lot. Um, and yeah, Stansbury would would draw the fear while also subtly hinting at the, a solution coming. And the solution would be coming, coming, coming. And it would hook you in. So you read next thing, you know, you're 35 pages into the goddamn thing. You know, it's like, yeah. And they say, it's like, what is longer... this select group of savvy investors going to do? It's like a novel. You're just, <laughs> or like a mystery, a murder mystery. You're just trying to find who got, who done it, you know? <laughs> so yes, there's something to that. It's very interesting. Um, okay. So when it comes to writing copy, is there something that I should have asked you, but didn't when it comes to creating that, that optimal conversion environment? Um. Something you should have asked you, but didn't. By the way, that's that's one of my favorite questions. I use that one all the time when I'm interviewing people. <laughs> uh, Get I mean, you to do the work for me. We can talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, we talked about emotion. How that's that's the first thing. Um, like the first principle. Talked about using. Yeah. Okay. Um, we haven't really. I mean, we've sort of glancingly talked about audience, um, but. I would say that that's one of the most important things to know. Yes, yeah. um, start with the audience. If you right? start with the pains, yeah. that's the way I think of it. Start with the pains the audience is is dealing with right now. And I use ChatGPT. The pains, to, the hopes, the dreams. 
whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah all of the um, above uh-huh what keeps them up at night that's silently eating away at them that they they wouldn't yeah. tell their best friend about but it's it's still true nonetheless those secrets that they have uh if you can speak to that and i use ChatGPT to elicit all of these things i will uh, for example give a, a couple linkedin bios of my ideal target audience and extract a collective psyche out of out of those profiles and i you know these these people would be more likely to be visually oriented write copy in terms of uh, i see what you mean instead of I hear what you're saying these sorts of things um toward language toward the goal that they're trying to get to uh, i can get all of this out of a couple linkedin profiles using ChatGPT to to create a i guess a customer avatar if you wanted to use the, the trick yeah. term that everybody uses um i don't i mean i try not to because when i think of an avatar i think of uh either like that cartoon that you that kids watch or um like the, the avatar airbender or whatever or the yeah. the, the big blue dudes who, who are on the, the other oh, planet yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of avatar you know so um nonetheless when it comes down to writing copy or creating an offer you start with the, the target audience and, and what's going on in their minds already right touch on that for yeah me. How, how do you think about that process um try and live in their world mm. consume the media that they're consuming um you know see what they what is speaking to them what is it that they're reading what is it that they're watching right. um right. that'll live that's, in their that's world. the best yeah yeah yes. the more you can do that the easier it's going to be like and then at that point you're going to like it'll it'll just come naturally out of the ether at that point uh and that? one of the nice things how do you do that? Yeah. Uh, How do you well, live in their world? Have that much empathy? Their, their media ecosystem, their social media, like you can set up, you were just talking about, you know, setting up avatars. Uh, you can you can create a LinkedIn avatar and see what comes through your feed. I don't do it with LinkedIn because people aren't, they, they're showing, you know, a professional sheen on LinkedIn. So it's a different sort of thing. Right. But uh, but you can, you can do that same thing like on Twitter or X yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And you can um, get under the surface. I mean, of course, on the surface, oh, you're looking yeah. at the persona, but you could also look at the underlying psychological factors that would lead to somebody having that persona online. And so you yeah. can get to the roots of it by analyzing the persona. And I mean, you can you can do all sorts of things like look at lookalikes, look at uh look at their search terms, like what is this mm. segment? What is it that they're searching for? Mm. And I mean that's a great way to get into their fears and their hopes, their dream, all of that. Like, you know, retirement one K, something like that. It's like, okay, this these are people trying to retire without very much money. They're gonna be very scared about their uh their future and running out of money, which is everyone's greatest fear generally with finance. But it's like, okay, these folks I know are going to respond really well to that message. So I can hit them with a retirement message really well. Right, um, right. They might not have money or, to spend on the offer, but they'll be interested in the message. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you know, there's all sorts of, it depends what you're doing, uh, whether, whether they're going to be the ones paying you or not. So it may be that you're going to make the money not from them, um, but other people are interested in their eyeballs for one reason or another. Uh, oh, interesting okay yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and also the other thing i would say this sort of ties back into you were talking about how you could sort of break people down and then build them back up into yes. your ideal <laughs> uh yeah i i think of it oftentimes in terms of like the movie inception uh mm. you're trying to incept them so mm. you want them to come up with the idea of yes. what you want them to do on their mm. own before you say it so basically you lay out all the steps, you lay it on a platter, like here's A, which leads to B, 
which leads to C, which we know is going to lead to D, but I'm not going to say D, you're going to think D and I'm going to say it in three pages and you're going to mm. feel brilliant because you got there first mm. and it's your idea and now you want to do it because it's your idea. That's If you get someone to come up with it themselves before you say it, you've sold them. It's over. It's done. I mean, as long as they've got the money. <laughs> yeah, no, no shit. So that's... <laughs> How do you do that? Because the way I think about that is a sort of give and take. Uh, you're you're giving them that identity. You're giving them the the beliefs that that are aligned with buying your product. And then the way I like to do it at the end is say, but maybe it won't work for you. And now they're arguing with you as to why it will work for them. You know, like why I want to buy this product. Uh, so how do you do that? How do you do that specifically? Yeah. What what you were just talking about? I think of that more like the velvet rope. That's sort of that that the part of the process. Rope. Um, yeah, the velvet rope is when you make something more exclusive. So you get to feel ah the velvet important rope. Okay, to be invited. I see. the VIP uh, experience. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's that's a lot of the like. This might not be for you. This isn't for everyone. Not everyone can handle this mm. level of uh, excitement and risk because we will lose some trades. But boy, are we going to be rich at the end of it? I don't know if that's for you though. It's a wild, crazy time. I, I don't know if you're ready for it. Like, yeah, that's, you got <laughs> yeah, that whole yeah. thing. But um. <laughs> Leading them to it is, for me, it's sort of like what I was saying, where you you lay out all of the steps. So you get them in the right emotional space, first off. So you mm -hmm. want them striving to find the answer. You're going to present the question, and you're going to give them all the data they need to reach the conclusion that you want them to. Mm -hmm. uh, Interesting. So it's, it's like a Socratic method, but you have yeah. to imagine the other party. And you just keep on asking the questions that get you the answers you want mm. until you get them saying the answer that you want at the very end. Uh, oh, so yeah. so think about it with, very much as Socratic. Very interesting. You start <laughs> with what they want, and then you'd start to ask the questions that would lead to that. It's difficult as all yeah. hell, then, but you can use ChatGPT to do most of the thinking for you now, which is fascinating. You know, so yeah, it can would, it can definitely help you. Yeah, no kidding, right? So you start with with a, with a thought that they would need to have to buy, and then you ask ChatGPT what questions would you have to ask to lead to this thought. And I think that's a fascinating process. Wow, man. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty good idea. I think I should write that one down. <laughs> <laughs> I like it, man. Um, it's, yeah, it's, that's it's that's a really process. good one. You can take it through. Yeah. Um, when it comes to AI in, in the future of copywriting, how do you see it playing out? Um, well, so I think that right now, for the most part, at least the 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 chat GPT is not quite at the the A list copywriter level. Two or three more years, that may not be true. It may be. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, it's it can produce pretty good, like I would say, yeah, it can very consistently come out with, you know, solid copy, stuff that you can you could definitely run and it won't be embarrassing. It won't it, it might even really hit pretty well sometimes. Um but it, it won't be uh it won't have quite the same polish or nuance that comes with the very best writing. Like you're not going to be able to replace that Stansbury package with yes, a yes. with a chat GPT thing yet. Yeah, um, yet. But you can you can replace a lot of like a lot of the the stuff which is out there. Most of it is not at that level. Uh, I'd say it's probably able to do about eighty percent of the copy which is out there right now. It's only that last twenty percent which you can't reach yet, uh, and it's. I don't think most companies realize that yet. When they do, it's going to be a big shock to the whole marketing ecosystem. Um, for me, I'm 
I'm trying to, you know, work with it a lot myself so that I, I will not be one of the ones who gets left behind holding the buggy whip, but I'll be, uh, you know, one of the ones who's <laughs> the like, buggy whip. I can, yeah. I can show you how to do the AI. Like, uh, yeah, well, you, you need to be adding it to your arsenal. Now it needs to be in your tool belt, tool belt now, or start thinking about another industry because yeah. in, in five max 10 years, everyone's going to have to be able to use it. You might not use it for every single project, but you're going to be expected to know how to use it and to use it to speed up your process wherever you can. Like that's going to be a large part of it is, you know, as I was like, lots of times when I have a thought, I've got my whole picture. Once, once I get that big idea uh, and I know what I'm going to try to say, then a lot of the writing itself is kind of busy work. Like it's already written in my head. I just need to sit down mm. and type it all out. Uh, if if AI can do almost all of that, get me 90, 95% of the way there, and I just need to like edit it a little bit to sort of tweak it to where I really want it to be, then that's a huge time savings. I'm able to uh, you know, churn out a whole lot more stuff much faster. Um, and that's because that's going to be out there if you're not able to do that, then you're going to get left behind. Uh, that's all this is coming. <laughs> right. No kidding. Eh? The way I think about it is uh, it's not going to replace copywriters. It's going to replace copywriters who don't use AI. So, you know, something to think about there. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely. We'll do that. Let's leave it there, brother. I think we, I think we touched on a lot here. I think we went through pretty much the, uh, most of the, the copywriting process and the way to think about it. Uh, so, you know, that's a pretty big task to, to conquer. So dude, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. I think we, I think we killed it, killed it today. Yeah. This was fun. Yeah. Hope, no kidding. Uh, hope the podcast goes well. What's it, what's it called? The marketing podcast. So there we go. We're right up our alley right. today. It's perfect for this. Brother. <laughs> yeah. So dude, it's been a pleasure, man. And uh, so we'll end the podcast here. All right. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. And if you want to get a free copy of my book, go to kylesbook.com and you can get a copy there. I'll talk with you soon.